Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, as you think back over the past year, did you make any big choices? You know, any big, really big issues in your life where you had to make decisions and you made those decisions? And something I want you to understand is that we think it's the big decisions that determine the way our lives go. And they are part of it. And sometimes there are really crucial decisions that turn us in one direction or another. But in reality... Every decision, even the small ones, determine where we end up, especially as we multiply those small decisions, right? We have all these small decisions that we're making day in and day out in life, and every now and then we have a big one. In fact, I would say to you that how we make those small decisions in life probably is going to really affect how we make those big decisions. And so that makes all of our choices important, doesn't it? And so we're talking about how do we go through life and we look at what's going on. Um, Have you made any decisions that you regret in life? Can you think, you know, right, if we were, felt free to go around and talk, could you say, yeah, I made this decision and I really regret it, you know? In the moment, I did this or I did that and I didn't think, you know, about where this was headed and so I made some bad choices. Sometimes we look back and make good choices. That's good to remember, isn't it? Yeah. The good choices that I made, you know, uh, the choices, obviously, when I chose to, to surrender to the Lord and receive Christ as Savior was huge. A decision to say to him, okay, God, you know, whatever you want with my life, whenever, wherever, however, whatever, God, I surrender to you in that. That was uh, a life-changing decision and a good decision. Um, and so we have decisions, some we regret, some that we are happy about. But what we want to do is think in this sermon series to think about how do we approach our choices in life? What are the things that are going on that affect what we're thinking and how we're feeling and what we're doing and how do we make, learn to recognize those issues so we can make better choices because better choices give us a better outcome. And to remember that our choices really do determine our destiny, not just eternally, but in this life, what I experience tomorrow, next year, and the rest of my life, those kinds of decisions. So last week we started off talking about the choice between repentance or regrets. And we said that nobody, hardly anybody, ever chooses, hey, I want regrets. (laughs) Nobody doesn't do that. We end up with regrets, but we don't choose that. But we don't think of repentance as a great choice either, right? Because that's about being sorry, or it means I messed up, or whatever. But we talked last week about the the, the crucial thing we need to understand is that we need to be ready to repent. We want to live our lives ready to see, wait a minute, that wasn't right. I I, I missed it. I messed up or I just did what's wrong. We need a readiness to repent because that's how we make changes. And if we say, no, I don't want that, I, I... 
I'm not going to be have that readiness to repent. I'm not going to live humbly. I'm going. I know what's right. I, I'm going to do what I want. And if we live that way, that choice inevitably is a choice to experience regrets. Okay. And so that's how that choice works. So we want to live humbly, uh, be humble people. Um, it doesn't mean we don't have opinions or, or that what we think doesn't matter, but it's being humble and seeing ourselves uh, before the Lord as being under him and willing to receive direction from him. Okay, a readiness to repent. And that brings us to the choice we want to talk about today. And that choice is... Well, let's start in Isaiah chapter 6, and we'll see the choice, at least uh, issues related to the choice. Isaiah chapter 6. <clears throat> in this chapter, uh, the king of Israel has died, King Uzziah, and Isaiah has a vision of the Lord. Okay, the Lord appears to him. And we're going to read just the first part of that. <clears throat> It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, and by the way, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one under the chairs there at some point, and you can find page 789 is where we are, Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, those are angelic beings, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. But this holy, holy, holy. These creatures created to declare, and we're going to read more in just a minute, but created to declare the holiness of God. And this is a big deal. It's night and day. This is what they do. They declare the holiness of God. What were they doing 6,000 years ago? Declaring the holiness of God. What will they be doing in future and eternity? We see them with the book of Revelation. Guess what they're doing? Declaring the holiness of God. You know why? Because no created being can ever fully do the job of declaring the holiness of God. And so it goes on and on and on and on and on. And in the Hebrew language, you know, we, let's talk about English for just a minute. In, in the English language, if we were going to use uh, comparative forms of the word, we would say there's holy, and then there's holier, and there's holiest, right? Okay. Well, in the Hebrew language, instead of having those different forms, they would say holy once or holy twice or holy three times is the most you can do. In other words, that is just like the absolute most. And so for, from the beginning of creation to now, and as we see in the future, these beings create trying to adequately declare how holy God is. And they're still at work and probably will be for all eternity. All right, so God is God holy? How holy is he? Holy, holy, holy. That's how holy he is. So what, is, what happens with Isaiah 
when he sees this. It says, and the post, the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. It's just kind of a, a scary, overwhelming picture here. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And he's going to go on and, and tell more about what happens there. But I want you to see Isaiah's response. He says, woe unto me. When you say woe unto me, what do you mean? I'm happy go lucky here? No. I am overwhelmed. I have sorrow. I have this sense of I, I can't see a solution to this problem. And what's the problem? I am sinful. All of us, we're sinful. And he is holy, holy, holy. Would you say Isaiah is a happy man at this point? Would happy be the word you would choose for him? No. No. And so, I, I, by the way, that, that thought is not a conclusion at all. That is an introductory thought, okay? But today we want to talk about, as we make choices in life, considering holiness or happiness. Holiness or happiness. This is, go ahead and if you would go to that slide. Holiness or happiness, that is the choice. That is often part of the choices that we are having to make. So how do we navigate this? You know, we come to a choice and, and wait, holiness is an issue in this choice and happiness is an issue in this choice and how do I make this choice? Well, first thing we wanna do is let's understand what we mean by holiness and we'll talk about what we mean by happiness. But holiness is the completely sinless holy, righteous nature of God that saturates every facet of his being. Okay? It's not something that's added to God. It's not here's God and then holiness is added on to him. It's just part of who he is and there is no sin there at all. There's no pull towards sin. Okay? There's no desire for sin. It just isn't there. It's not part of who he is. And we can think of an illustration trying to understand God's holiness in this sense. Um, that there's a difference in life between someone who's not sick and someone who's very healthy. You understand, right? There's a person who's not sick, doesn't necessarily have an infection or whatever, but the person who's very healthy is in a positive sense healthy, right? Well, this is the way God is with holiness. It isn't just an absence of sin. There's this positive sense of righteousness, goodness, uh, moral perfection, all of these kinds of things in God. And so when we talk about holiness, this is what we're talking about, this, 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 part, this not part of God, I can't say that. It's this uh, essence of God that is just sinless, perfectly, always sinless. Um, all right, so this means that in life, anything that is holy is holy solely because of its connection with God, all right? 
In other words, uh, in creation, nothing is holy in and of itself. It's only holy because it's been created by a holy God. It's holy because it's touched by a holy God. It's holy because as you know, members of creation interact with a holy God. It is a derived holiness. Okay, so our holiness, if we're going to be holy, where does it come from? It comes from God and connecting with God and humbling ourselves before God as we talked about last week. And then we see this too. Secondly, it's that things become holy when they have been set apart for God's use and purposes. In fact, this word holy, the way it's used in the Bible, is not just used to refer to a lack of sin or a positive sense of righteousness. It's also used as the idea of being set apart for God. Okay? The root meaning of the word means to set apart. But we get our word sanctified from this. Sanctified. And so here's what happened in the Old Testament. When the Old Testament, when they were going to make a, um, something to be used in the temple, okay, something to use in the temple, they, they would you know, maybe make a massive amount of clay and the potter goes to work and he's making some, some uh, pottery to sell in the marketplace. He's making some to use in his own house and he's making some for the temple. What's the difference in the clay? There's no difference in the clay. What's the difference in the person who made it? There's no difference in them. Well, what makes this, this pottery that's in the temple holy and the rest of it not? What makes a difference is that this clay pot, once it's done, is taken and it's, it's put into the temple. It's, it's set apart for God's use and purposes and only for God's use and purposes. In fact, once that was in there, it was to never be used for anything else ever again because it was holy. It was set apart for the use and purposes of a holy God. Okay, now, so when, when you and I get saved, what happens? We're made holy people. Ah, do we live holy? Do we always live holy? Come on, do you always live holy? Anybody not live holy this week? Okay. Now, there are times when we do holy, we live holy, and we do good, and that's good, and we want to grow. And in fact, that's what I want you to see next. So, since this is the way God is, and this is what holiness is about, God commands us to be holy people who live holy lives. That's what the word commands us. Peter said it this way in his letter. He says, as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written in the Old Testament, be holy because I am holy. And so we have two ideas here. Be holy. Be holy people and be holy in your conduct, how you live, okay? So how do we do these things? Well, we become holy people by receiving Christ as Savior. This is what I just mentioned just a moment ago, right? That time when we, you know, find ourselves separated from God. Well, let's just look at a verse here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For he, that's talking about God the Father, made him, God the Son, Jesus, who knew no sin, because he's what? Holy God. He becomes a human being. 
He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So somehow, here we are, we are sinful human beings, which sinful means we've done our own thing, right? We haven't been surrendered to God uh, you know, in our lives. We haven't loved God with all of our being. We haven't always been faithful to love our neighbors as ourselves. We, we've done things we shouldn't do. We've not done things we should do. We've done things that we should do, but with the wrong attitudes. I mean, on and on it goes, right? We are sinful people from birth. God is holy. And, and how can we have a relationship? In fact, the Bible tells us that we can't. That because of our sins, we are separated from God. Our sins have separated us from him. We know the gospel. God loved the world so much that he sent his son, his perfect, sinless son, to take on human form. And as a human being, when he hung on the cross, somehow God took my sin and my sinfulness. And Jesus took it. He took my sin. And he took my sinfulness. And I want you to think right now. I want you to think about the worst thing in your life that you've done. The worst things in your life that you imagine doing and have a desire toward. Jesus took it. And he dies paying the penalty for that sin. Mine, yours, the sins of the whole world. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Why? So that our sins could be completely forgiven and he could move in and give us new life and a holiness inside. Right? That we may become the righteousness of God in him. This is a huge thing. But so you see what's happened? This is how we become a holy person. He has changed us. He has moved in. We now belong to him. It's the picture of this clay pot, this human body and, and, and my being in me have been taken out of the natural world and placed into Christ. Just like that pot was placed in the temple. And so now I am holy. And so this is how we become holy people. And if you've never come to that point in your life where you have said, I see that, I, I know my sins have separated me from God. I believe Jesus died for me and rose again. And by faith, I receive Jesus as my Savior. I trust him for his forgiveness and to, to do what this verse says. You know, whether you're here today or you're watching online, if you've never done it, just right now, in your heart and mind, say, oh God, that's me. And I, I believe, I'm going to trust. I receive what you've done for me. So this is how we become holy people. Does that mean we automatically begin living holy lives? No, we have two things. We are to be holy, be holy, and be holy not just us, but in our conduct, okay? And this is where this process occurs in our lives. And, and the theological term, biblical term, is that of the process of sanctification, being sanctified, being set apart. And so this reality that, that God has done deep inside of us when we receive Christ as Savior made us holy people, we need to now begin to align our lives with that. And so this, the, the way we become holy in our, our living 
is that we live holy lives by aligning ourselves with the Lord, as we, and the Lord in his word, as we walk in the spirit, okay? And so this reality that God has said, you are a holy person, now you belong to me. Now you need to live it out, okay? So how do I live it out? Today I, am, I belong to God and he's made me holy. What does that mean? When the choices come, what does it mean in these choices? How do I live this out? And so what we have to do is we have to get into his word. Uh, in a passage that's usually we look to when we want to talk about marriage, but it's, it's really to teach us some things about Christ. It says this, Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's us, right? that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. You know, we take showers and we use the water. God cleans us up with what? With the word. And so it's as we see what God says in his word about the way we're supposed to be, what our character's supposed to be like, what we're not supposed to do, what we are supposed to do, what's supposed to motivate us as we do this and, and being surrendered to the Lord and growing to be like the Lord and telling others about all these things we, from the word. We align ourselves with what God says in his word and that's how our conduct becomes holy. Now, because of the way we, we tend to approach religion and really all of life, earning things, we have to be careful here. We do not get into the word and all this so somehow we can maybe be holy. No, because what happened that moment we got saved? He became sin so that we might become righteous. We already are holy people. The, what we have to do is learn to live it out. Okay, so it's our conduct we're talking about. Getting our conduct allowed. And so we do that by aligning ourselves with God's word and we do it by walking in the spirit. It says, uh, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you walk in the spirit, you're not gonna do what's wrong. You'll do what's right and holy when you're walking in the spirit. And walking in the spirit is this idea of being submitted to God. Surrender to him and the Holy Spirit will give you understanding uh, in the situations you're in. He will help you to know what the, understand what the word says. So here we come to a choice in life. Okay, well, what does the word say? And the Holy Spirit will help me remember what the word says. And the Holy Spirit will help me to see what the really the right choices are. And, and so it's as I cooperate with God that I make good choices. I make Holy choices, okay? Um, so this is, when we're thinking about making choices between holiness and happiness, we gotta understand this whole idea of holiness and hopefully you do. So let's talk now about happiness. What is happiness? <laughs> happiness is a sense of pleasure, well-being, Satisfaction and contentment. And it's just trying to find the right words. But when we feel happy, we feel pleasure, don't we? I mean, that's typically what we would think goes along with it. When we feel happy, we feel like we're doing okay. Things, you know, we're well off. Uh, when we think about happiness, we, we feel a sense of satisfaction in that. Maybe some contentment. I like this. Who likes to be happy besides me? Anybody? I love to be happy. Um, you know it's God's intent that we be happy? 
Now, let's hold that thought here and let's keep it. But it is. It, it, it is good to desire happiness. Because God is the author of happiness. Okay? And it's good to desire it. And he has put things in his word to help us understand. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter, uh, what is it, 33. To show you a quick example of this idea. God is the author of human happiness. He designed us to recognize it and want it. He made us to want to be happy. And God's word links happiness to different things. So it's this example. Here toward the end of Deuteronomy, uh, Moses is getting ready to pass off the scene. They're getting ready to enter the promised land. And Moses says this. Let's start in verse 26. There is no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides the heavens to help you and in his excellency on the clouds. Doesn't that sound like days of Elijah? You know, it does a lot. But anyway, 27. The eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will thrust out the enemy from before you and will say, destroy. Now he'll take care of the enemy. Then Israel shall dwell in safety, the fountain of Jacob alone in a land of grain and new wine. His heaven shall also drop. Do this stop. They sound like happy things. Yeah, it, it, it fits in with this description of happiness. And then he says, verse 29, Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. You're happy because of your relationship with God. You're, you experience these things that are happy and you're connected to it in them. And so, um, the Bible connects happiness with things. A lot of things. And I don't, we don't have time to look at all the verses, so just let me share with you some of the things that the Bible, said, just like he said, happy are you because you're the Lord's people. Happy, we're happy because we have salvation. I'm happy about that, aren't you? Uh, that we're happy because God corrects us. <laughs> corrects us. Correction doesn't always feel happy, does it? But aren't you happy he does it? Doesn't leave you on the wrong path? Where, uh, children bring happiness. Productive work brings happiness. A relationship with God, as we just read, brings happiness. The fact that we have hope in the Lord brings happiness. When we gain wisdom and understanding, that brings happiness into our lives. When we show mercy like God is merciful, we are happy. That makes us happy. Trusting in God makes us happy. Having a reverent approach to life makes us happy. Obedience to God's word makes us happy. Feeling confident about our beliefs makes us happy. And we could find more in the list. So, God intends for us to be happy. What makes you happy? You know, we, we were in church and the preacher's preaching and he says, what makes you happy? And you think, oh, I gotta think of all those spiritual things. Well, we just talked about some of the spiritual things, but I wanna tell you what, a good hot cup of coffee in the morning makes me happy. <laughs> being able to sit quietly 
and open the word and ponder things and talk with God makes me happy. Having my car start makes me happy because it doesn't always. Having the car go really fast when I press the gas way down makes me happy. Um, you know, having a nice orderly home with people I love and it makes me happy. Having a chaotic house full of grandkids makes me happy. It, it, we go on, right? Aren't there many, many things in life that make us happy? And so when we think of holiness or happiness, and you know, that, we make a mistake if, if we try to become spiritual and say, well, happiness isn't important. Happiness is not, isn't important. Holiness is what's important. Well, is holiness important? Yes, but it's a mistake to think that happiness is not. Because God designed us to experience happiness. And it's a good thing. It is a good thing. So it's good to desire it. But something else we need to remember is that happiness is dependent upon a person's circumstances. All of those things, if you take them away from me at that moment, I don't experience that happiness, do you? If I were to get up in the morning and discover that I had no coffee in the house, I'm not going to experience that happiness. All these things are dependent on circumstances. Even the happiness that's connected, as we've read about the things of God, is dependent on circumstances because it's dependent on whether or not I have that relationship with him, right? It's dependent on whether I am obeying him. So that even that happiness is dependent. Now we talk about happiness that isn't dependent and that's given by God and what do we call that? Joy, joy that's right. Hap joy is happiness that is not dependent on circumstances. It's dependent on the work of God in us. And we experience joy. So happiness can be separate. But happiness in general, dependent on a person's circumstance, which means it's always only temporary. Right? Because I start with a cup of coffee, but the next day, you know I mean I'm back to the same place? So it's temporary in this life, okay? Which means that we what? We keep doing things to experience happiness. We keep looking for things that will make us happy. And so that's an ongoing part of our lives. Now, like I said, that's not wrong. God made us to desire happiness. And really, as we will see and talk some, it's the happiness that he will give us that, you know, he wants us to want happiness because then we will want what he has for us. And that's not just being selfish. It's being what he made us to be. But why don't you see this? Because we are looking for happiness, we desire happiness, because we were born with a sinful nature, because that sin did a number on how we think, how we feel, how we interpret life, all those kinds of things going on, makes us susceptible to things that we think will make us happy, but won't. And so sinful choices present themselves as a pathway to happiness. But it's a lie. It's a lie. I mean, 
Okay, I, I'm looking for 100% participation here, I hope. How many of you have ever sinned? Okay, right. And most likely you sinned at that moment because you thought that something was going to make you happy. I don't think any of us sin unless we really have, have reached a terrible place. I don't think any of us sin because we say, oh, I want to sin so I can destroy my life. I want to sin so that I can be miserable. We don't do that. We sin because we think it's going to make us happy, but it's a lie. Uh, in the book of Hebrews, the, the story is told of Moses and his faith and how he had a choice to make between continuing to live as a prince of Egypt and maybe even becoming Pharaoh or doing what was right. And it says that he chose to do what's right and it described that the wrong choice is bringing the passing pleasures of sin so when, when sin presents, or a choice presents itself to me, and I say, it's going to make me happy, but I look and I say, wait, this is, I have to disobey God to do this. I have to ignore God to do this. I have to be selfish to do this. I have to, whatever it is, to do this. Well, if I do that, will I experience any pleasure? Most likely, momentarily, but it's going to go. That pleasure is going to be gone. Okay, the passing pleasures of sin. And so uh, the, the, uh, the author of Hebrews also says this. He says, you must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Because see, here's the way the choice works. The sin that's presented Okay, I have a choice before me. Tell a lie or tell the truth. But if I tell the lie, I won't have to suffer those consequences. And so, see, that's, that's the lie. It's not going to make, I think it's going to make me happier, but it's not. You know, um, I, I have money to spend, an opportunity to buy something. But if I buy that, then I can't pay my bills or I can't give to God or, I, or whatever the choice is, you know, but I think that's going to make me happy. But it's temporary. You know, when someone thinks, you know, they, whatever's going on in their lives, they're tired, they're worn out, they're hurt, they're discouraged, or whatever, and they think, well, all of a sudden there's a temptation to look at pornography, thinking that that's somehow rather going to medicate my pain. and that It's a lie. You see, all of these things that come into our lives, this this deception, this hardening. <laughs> Just say it, the, the lie that you can have happiness without holiness is foolish, foolishness, right? The think you can have happiness without holiness is foolishness. And, and temporary happiness, get this, temporary happiness from sinful choices always comes with a dose of darkness in your soul. Oh, all of a sudden you feel happy, but under the, you know in your soul that there's darkness. This is not good. And there are a lot of people who struggle with depression because of habitual, sinful choices in their life have left them depressed, feeling depressed, which then creates a cycle. And one of the biggest lies is this, that you're entitled to happiness. Don't buy that lie. 
Well, I'm entitled to this. So you have a choice and, and you say happiness. That's the most important thing. I'm entitled to that. That's a lie. And if being happy is your highest goal, you're on a fool's errand. Because it will lead to sin and all the destruction that goes along with this. So, when we find ourselves with this choice, holiness or happiness, how do we make the choice? Now, let's be clear again. Is happiness a bad thing? Is is wanting to choose happiness a bad thing? No, it's not. Again, God made us that way. But if you must choose, if you have to choose between the two, always choose holiness. Go ahead and go to that if you would. If you must choose between the two, always choose holiness. Um, And that just... Does that make sense? Okay. So when I'm looking at a situation, and, and like I said, this is, I mean, this is silly, but I think it helps you to, to apply it in other areas of your life. But if I get up in the morning and I desire a cup of coffee and I have the coffee and I can make that choice and there's no aspect of holiness or unholiness here, it's not, I'm going to do it. Do it. In your life, do make those kinds of choices. But you got to be paying attention. Because if you aren't paying attention, you'll always choose happiness and not even pay attention to whether there's an issue of holiness present. So we got to pay attention to that. And if we have to choose, we always choose holiness. Second point is this. Happiness does not inevitably lead to holiness. <laughs> you know, we think, well, I, I'll choose to be happy. That's okay. That'll be good. You know, no. The choice of happiness does not produce holiness. Now, if, if, if it's happiness that God has provided for me, let me back up and just let's put this back in context. Let's say, you know, there was a time in my life when I drank way too much coffee. I mean, seriously, way too much. Uh, I was driving back and forth to the south end of Boston to work. I had an hour-plus drive every day. And get up early in the morning, come back late afternoon, early evening, and I drank coffee all day. Now, you may be able to do that, not a problem for you, but it became a problem for me because I was getting tireder and tireder. I don't know if that makes sense to you. But one day, I'm driving home on the Mass Turnpike, the center lane of the Mass Turnpike, and all of a sudden this happened. Because I had been asleep, driving, and I, I kind of looked around quick, and I looked up here, and there was the guys in a work truck, three guys in the front, and one of them was big-eyed and pointing at me. I don't know, I was, must have been. So for me, I realized, that I, I just made sense, I, I was drinking too much coffee, and it just, so the point is, I, I stopped. I stopped drinking coffee, completely, Okay? Now, let's assume I had realized that. And by the way, that was a good thing for me. Good in many ways. I wasn't addicted to it anymore, right? And I wasn't controlled by it. And, and uh, so, but now, if, if the, let's say, you know, I, I determine I got to get off this coffee. I have to, in order to do what God wants me to do, because I'm letting this wreck my life. Um, and so the next morning I get up and I think, 
hmm, I'll just have one cup of coffee. I, I can set aside. Do you, you see what I'm talking about, trying to explain here? Then that choice becomes, there's an aspect of holiness to it because God has shown me I need to stop. I think, well, if I just have one, then that'll help me and I'll be able to do what God wants me to do. Now, how, how much worse when we're talking not about choices that are about coffee, but about alcohol, about pornography, which any of that's too much. You see what I'm saying? We got to pay attention and make sure that we understand what's going on there. So happiness does not lead to holiness. Third thing, the highway of holiness always leads to happiness. Now, what in the world is the highway to holiness? You know, I've read the Bible a number of times, and, and, and this week I, I don't remember ever reading this phrase. Turn to Deut- uh, not Deuteronomy. Um, hey, Anthony. We're going to skip the Proverbs 7. So if you can go to Isaiah 35. I guess we already did skip it, didn't we? (laughs) Isaiah 35. Let's see here. And let's start reading in verse number 1. This is a description of Israel and and God speaks of them and their land in very symbolic ways, but ways that talk about goodness and life and blessing. And so let's read, read it here. He talks about the wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. These are happy thoughts, right? Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, which is, by the way, when John the Baptist is in jail and wondering, was Jesus the Messiah? And he sent messengers to Jesus, and Jesus said, tell him that the blind see and the deaf hear. Okay, this is good. This is happy stuff. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the, the tongue of the dumb sing, for water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Water in the desert is always a happy thing. The parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of jackals where each lay there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. And so I want you to understand that he's talking about this happy situation in Israel when God blesses, but he's going to describe it as happening in conjunction with something. Verse 8, a highway shall be there and a road and it shall be called what? The highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool shall not go astray, no lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom to the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. They will be happy. Why? Because they are on the highway of holiness. 
not the highway of happiness, the highway of holiness. But as we read all the rest of this, the rest of this didn't sound like, and they weren't ungodly things, but they didn't sound like holiness, did it? It sounded like happiness. But the happiness is there because they were on the highway of holiness. And so when we go through life and make sure that whenever we have a choice between happiness and holiness, that we choose holiness, we're putting ourselves on the highway of holiness. And even though we may have said no to happiness at this moment, because we have said yes to holiness, it's going to lead us to a happiness. And by the way, this is the kind of thing that leads you to a happiness that is no longer dependent on circumstances, but is in fact joy. Joy. And so understand this, that holy, or happiness is the holy person's destiny. Happiness is the holy person's destiny. It's true in eternity because we received Christ as Savior and he made us holy people. Forever we will be happy in eternity. But also in this life, when I make holy choices, when I, when I go with what's holy, it's going to inevitably bring happiness to me in this life. And like I said, more often than not, a happiness that's no longer dependent on circumstances. A joy. And so if you have a choice, if you have to choose between holiness and happiness, choose holiness every time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge to holiness. Thank you that you, when you save us, you make us holy people and you make us holy deep down inside and holy in the sense that we are set apart for you. We belong to you forever. Oh, Father, I pray you'd help us to be wise and see that whenever we have to choose between happiness and holiness, that without even a moment's question, we choose holiness. That we would be obedient to you in that way, that we would bring honor and glory to you in that way. And Lord, in that way, also experience the blessing that you have attached to holy living. And I thank you for all those things that make us happy, Father. But help us, remind us, stir our hearts to on purpose make the choices of holiness first. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.